Dave's Psych Lectures, part of the Thunderbird 6 podcast. So today we're talking, this is our last talk. So we'll get this stuff done. This will take probably two classes, it might take three. Uh, this stuff is a bit different than you're used to uh, in, the, in the course so far. It may, like I said, it might take three classes. Uh, that's fine. Um, after that, we can do review. That's fine with me. Okay? So, um, we're going to talk about multiple progression. So, we're interested in simple one-to-one relationships. This happens. I talked about, yes, about two days ago, rather, what was it? Uh, income and education, right? Or income and IQ, rather. Income and education work pretty well, too. So, we, are, we can be interested in those things. Simple one-to-one variable relationships. So let's say we get an R correlation of 0.5. That's a pretty good correlation, by the way, for most sort of survey-based behavioral sort of stuff. In fact, that's exceedingly high. That's the kind of, the only time you see that in a survey type thing is if, uh, like a personality type thing, is if you're looking at IQ. IQ correlates with a lot of stuff around 0.5 when you need to do it like, like job success, things like that. Most things are around 0.3. So if you look at your score on a personality scale of some sort, and then you look at a behavior, you're getting around 0.3. So 0.5 would be pretty high. The 0.5 is actually pretty, so it's pretty damn good. Uh, that would be something like, uh, in fact, IQ and income is about 0.5, yeah, the correlation. Yeah, Jim. I just can't remember if it was negative, what did that mean? Negative would go down, that would mean the higher your IQ, the lower your income. So not correlated, or? That's, that's still correlated, if it was negative 0.5, it would just be going the other way. Right, so that would mean the taller you are, the, 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 the less you weigh. So what would a, a not correlated? Zero. Oh, zero. Zero. So uh, here's one. The number of toes you have does not correlate with your income because most everyone has 10 toes. So that would so be about zero. That would be zero. Yeah, almost exactly zero. <coughs> so if it's positive 0.5, that means as one goes up, the other one goes up. If it's negative 0.5, if one goes up, the other goes down, right? We could probably go, here's a, here's a negative correlation. IQ and number of years served in prison. The smarter you are, the less likely you are to go to prison. For a lot of reasons. You're less likely to commit crimes. You're also more likely to be uh, sort of better means so you can afford a better lawyer if you committed a crime. OJ Simpson. Until eventually you decide, oh, I got away with killing my wife and her friend. Now I'll break into someone's hotel room. Well done, Juice. <laughs> During that whole thing, which most of you guys are too young for, a friend of mine said, there's no way he killed his wife. I said, well, it looks like he did. He said, well, you rushed for over 2,000 yards one year. And I said, yeah. See, that's not really how it works. <laughs> it's not like, yeah, he's a great football player, so he can't have killed anyone. Now, we know that R equals covariance of x from y divided by the standard deviation of x times the standard deviation of y. We talked about that the other day. So how much variance is accounted for? Now, this is where I remember I said at the beginning of the year, you have to start thinking of variance as a thing you can sort of touch, which is a really weird way to think. How much variance is accounted for by one variable in the other? In other words, how much variance in, let's say, IQ is the same variance as variance in income. How much does one account for another in this case? So it's 0.5. That's a question you can ask, a very interesting question, because if two things are measuring exactly the same thing, your height in centimeters and your height in inches, you will get a correlation of one. Right? In fact, the variance, even though you're using a different thing to measure it, is the same variance, isn't it? If it's one. It's exactly the same variance. If it's number of toes correlated with the income, there's no overlap. Hardly any variance, first of all. Most people have the 10. And the little tiny bit of variance there is, I find it unlikely that it has something to do with your income. And some people have 9 toes, some people have 11. My aunt has 11. She had 11 toes. My dad used to win bets with his friends. Hey, Linda, take your socks off. 
I'm going to count your toes. I got a five dollar bet with this guy that my sister has eleven toes. Way to go, Dad. And then he'd say, you know, she has two different colored eyes. I'd say, no, she doesn't. We have five more bucks, one green, one blue. My aunt's like a genetic mosaic of some sort. It's fantastic. Hi, Auntie Linda. Chance for listening is virtually ill. I don't think they have computers where she lives. They do. I can be on your phone. Things like, Kim Hortons is giving away free gift cards. No, they're not. Go to Snopes.com. All right. For the variance in number of toes, doesn't there is a very there's very little, there's some, but it doesn't really overlap with the variance in your income. Um, the variance in IQ overlaps a lot with variance in income. In fact, they're measuring the same thing. <coughs> you understand that notion? They're actually measuring a little bit of the same thing. That's the fact that, that says. Um, R deals with standard deviations, right? Covariance of x and y divided by standard deviation of x over standard deviation of y. If R deals with standard deviations, let's square this to deal with variance. Because that's you get standard deviation, you square it and you get variance. So the R squared here, the little R squared is 0.25. In other words, a quarter of the variance, and this is actually pretty much true, in uh, income is exactly the same variance as the variance in IQ. Okay? Is that you okay, Jen? It's just hard to think of it as a thing. It's hard to think of variance as a thing. I understand that. We'll, we'll get you there. When I say, what I call myself, we. I will get you there. So we've accounted for 25% of the variance. Which is a lot. A quarter of the variance is something. That's explaining a quarter of the variance is pretty good. There's 75% left. Wouldn't it be nice to know what the other 75% was? That'd be cool to know. Accounting for a quarter of variance in any variable is actually pretty impressive. Right? Ergo, which is Latin for therefore, there must be other variables that account for the rest of the variance. They have to exist. We may not know what they are, we may never be able to measure them, but on some level, we, they must exist. Right? Just follows. Just logic. How do we deal with this? We deal with this by bringing them into what we call the model. Right now, our model is, if we were thinking of it in regression terms, some intercept plus some number times your IQ equals your income. Right? Well, why don't we throw in, what else could it be? Years of education. Right? Years of education. So some number, that's the intercept, plus something times your IQ, plus something else times your years of education equals your income. So we're just going to have another variable brought, like I said, brought into the model. So there's the y variable. Okay? That's on the y-axis, and that's pretty much. And there's, the, there's x1. And there's the overlap. That's not quite a quarter. That's more like about a point two or so. Close enough for rock and roll. That's x1. Oh, there's x2. Now we've explained a little bit more variance. There's still a lot of But the nice thing is we've got the overlap here and here. When the variances in the two variables overlap, right, that means we're explaining variance. Our goal eventually, if possible, would be have all of y covered up. Within reason. Does that make a little more sense? If you think of the, the variance looks like that, it has a Venn diagram. That's my grade 13 algebra used to call it, teacher used to call it a Venn diagram. So I have a question. Yes, please. Mm, assuming, say, x1 is 0.25 and x2 is another 0.25, yeah. is there any way that the model could exceed 0.5 now? If you no. So it's the maximum. The ma maximum would be the, the 0.25 and 0.25. The maximum is 0.5 because they, they, they can't, they, there can't be anything yeah. else there. Yeah. But what about if, say, we move x1 over so it's overlapping with x2? Uh, then it would be less than 0.5. It would have to be because it's some must be explained. Would that be an interaction or would that be that? No, that is not an interaction. Would that be the multicollinearity? Yeah, that's right. 
which is something we'll get to. But yeah, that's that's right. That's that would not be an interaction. So the nice thing is we're modeling this. We can actually do this, and there's nothing wrong with doing this. So we say, remember before it was y hat equals a plus bx? Well, um, now we stop using a. Everything's a b now. Again, I don't know why it's done that way. That's notation people use. So yeah. Statisticians. So y hat equals b sub 0. That's the intercept. Plus b sub 1, x sub 1 plus b2x2 plus dot, 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 plus b underscore p minus 1, x underscore p minus 1, plus leftovers, residual, ratio. Shouldn't that be p? No. It should be p minus 1. p is the number of terms in the model. b0 is a term. It's a constant, but it's a term. Okay? So that's the p minus 1th term. So P is the total number of terms. We got to remember what are the terms is constant. It's that intercept. It's the intercept. You want to go for your game? You want to say you're there? You're okay. Well played. And I'll say it over here. Um, so that's, in fact, that actually should remind you a little bit of something. It looks a lot like, you know, experience. So think about it. That's why. And that's the grand mean that applies to everybody, just like B does. It doesn't matter where you are. Then plus some things about variables, plus some error. It's not that different. It's saying that y hat is a linear combination of a bunch of things. We have p minus 1 predictor variables. The x's are predictor variables. You got to remember, though, we're not calling x and y and z we're calling x1, x2, x3. Okay, so but x1 and x2 are two different two different uh, variables. So it could be uh, user education and one of them in uh, IQ. Now this is actually for the data set itself. These are actually statistics. They're estimates of how the real world works. This is where this is a little different from the analysis scenario. Because in Alice variance, that's a parametric model. Remember, they're all Greek letters. These are statistics. In the population, it looks like that. Big Y, man. No, it's not prediction anymore. No hat. We're saying this is how the world actually works. Equals beta sub 0 plus beta 1 x1 plus beta 2 x2 plus dot 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 plus beta sub t minus 1 x sub t minus 1 plus epsilon. That actually is a little more like the analysis of variance one, because now these are parameters. And we're saying this is how the world works. This isn't a prediction. Note there's no hat. Okay, this isn't a prediction. The world actually is a linear combination of all these things together, plus whatever's left over. We're trying to actually figure out what this is by calculating what those little b's are. Okay? So we're trying to figure out what this is. That's pretty damn sure. But we're, we're not going to get there without estimating it. Because if we do this, we wouldn't have to do the experiment. We wouldn't have to collect the data. Uh, here's an assumption. The errors are normally distributed to be independent of each other with a mean of zero and a variance of sigma squared sub epsilon, which is exactly the same as in analysis of variance we say about error, but the epsilon term in the angle of model is it's exactly the same thing. Right? You've seen models before, they don't look quite like this. This looks a little more mathy somehow. But it's the same damn thing. Epsilon is not prediction error. In the, in the statistical model, the y hat model, it actually is error in prediction. This is individual variation that we haven't explained. It's not prediction error because this is not a prediction. This is a description of the universe. But there's stuff we haven't explained. And you're saying this almost never happens because we wouldn't think it would. Well, we would never, we don't never know this. We can't know it because it's, it's parameters. Right? And if we knew it, we wouldn't have to go collect data. But you have to remember that the error itself 
that the, the residuals, E, are actually unbiased estimators, in fact, of epsilon. And they should have a mean of zero, a variance of sigma squared sub so epsilon, and be normal and independent. And it, that's exactly the same thing as we had as we've had before. Which is if I know uh, if I know a G score, I don't know J score. I just don't know it. They're independent. And they're normal. So if I took all your error scores, I get a nice normal distribution. And you mean all of the humans, because this is for everyone. Or every rat, or every plant, right? Or every protein, or whatever the hell you're doing. Okay. Are you okay so far? It's a, like I said, it's, we're, we're turning it a little bit on its head here. It's a little different than ANOVA, but it's got some similarities. Yeah, like I said, no, Y is not pre predicted Y. It's not Y hat. This is not a prediction. This is how the universe works. If I gave you, for example, if I was to give you a list of all of the faculty salaries, which I won't because I don't have access to that, and if I did, I wouldn't give it to you anyway. But if I had that, and I gave you a bunch of variables, there'd be things that I could give you, right? How about a number of years working here? You would think that would predict how much you paid. You would think that your rank would pay would make a difference, right? Uh, lecturer, assistant professor, associate professor, or professor. You might think that. Oh, I don't know, what else could it be? What else could be predicting uh, uh, your income here? As a professor, oh, I don't know, uh, number of courses taught per year. You teach extra courses, you get paid extra. I can give you that, you'll come up with the B0, B1, B2. You can do that. I actually know the formula. And that actually is public knowledge. But you want to go, go to our collective agreement. It's great. 75 pages of excitement. And there actually is a formula. It's not written out like that, but in essence, it is that. It says your salary equals the floor for your rank. Right? So the floor for, say, I'm an associate professor. So the floor for associate professor plus the number of years of service times a number. Right. And you might say, well, then where's the E? Well, I, actually, there might be some weird little, not, there aren't, really aren't very many anymore. But, well, what about some years when people are thesis students? We get paid a little extra and supervised thesis students. Right? So my actual income isn't exactly what my income is by the formula. It's a little bit higher. Department chair, so I get a little bit more. <coughs> right? I'm teaching, I'm, I'm co teaching with two other guys a course in the spring. A little bit more. Right? But you can actually make a prediction, and, and, and that's fine, and you probably get one that's pretty accurate, or you can actually look it up and say, oh, the world actually works like this. Right? Whoops, wrong way. That doesn't screw the recording, and if it does, well, it's too bad, you should come to class. All right. What do we get when we do this? If P minus 1, that's the number of predictors, equals 1, we get a line. We get, a, we get X and Y, we get a line. Right? Think about it. So P minus 1, we have, that means that equals 1. We have one predictor, which is X, and then we have Y, and we get a line. Now, if you've looked at the notes in advance, uh, don't, don't answer this question. But what do you think we get if p minus 1 equals 2? So remember, what we have now, we have some y-axis, and now we have an x-axis, and now we have an, an x1-axis, and now we have an x2-axis coming out at you in 3D, in fabulous 3D, <laughs> and going back. We have a three-dimensional graph. Now what do you get? What do you get, Mike? A plane. You get a plane. Now, so you get a plane or a surface. 
Now, what's that mean? I'll just throw this word. Okay. Think about this. This is a line. Think it has no depth. Okay? You're only looking at x and y. So this is uh, x, and that's y. Two dimensions. You see a line. Now, so there's a slope. Now we're going to go out this way and this way. Oh, look, I can slope it like that. All this thing, this whole surface. Now I have a surface or a plane. Okay? So if x1 equals this and x2 equals this, I can say y equals there. It's a plane. <coughs> so it's a plane. I can still imagine that. Did anybody here do x, y, z coordinates in high school? Partition coordinates, XYZ, so Miranda, you did. Anybody else? Only Miranda went to some special math school. Mike, yeah. I think I'd be touched You think what? I think, yeah. Uh, they did touch on Yeah, I think it's touched on. I mean, we did it in grade 13 algebra when it was grade 13. We had this very strange thing with three yardsticks, like big, you know, rulers or meter sticks, as they eventually called them, but they were still called yardsticks, even though we were using metric for 20 years. And we had an XY axis. Sorry, a y-axis, an x-axis, and then the z-axis. And I pulled this thing out like this. It's a strange man. He looked just like Gardenau. My grade 13 algebra teacher looked just like Gardenau. Like enough that we bought him a Gardenau doll as a joke gift at Christmas, and he got the joke. <laughs> I can't believe you found a doll that looks exactly like me. That's, it, by the way, a killer Mr. Let's impression. I know none of you will ever meet him in No chance I guess he's dead by now. But, um... You're old enough to think about that. Like my elementary school teachers, a lot of them have to be dead now. It's kind of weird. Like my, my principal, he was a great guy, just like Rocket Richard. He's got he's to be either 95 years old or, you know, weird to think. Just mortality. What's the use? We're all going to die. Let's stop. Um, <laughs> so this is it's kind of cool because now you've got a plane. You have surface. I've been thinking three dimensions. That's not that hard. Hey, look. Up, down, left, right, back, forth. I can do that. What do you get when you got um, p y equals three? And again, if you've looked at it, don't answer the question. Think about it. What do you think about it? Mike, what looks like volume? No, because it's four, it's four, it's four dimensions. So what you're saying would be two dimensions, right? And y is that's three. Then you have a hyperplane. Yeah, you got a, what's called a hyperplane in hyperspace. You've got a hyperplane in hyperspace. I just put that in here because I like saying in hyperspace. Spin up the FTL drives. What do you hear, Starbuck? Nothing but the rain, sir. Nobody watched Battlestar Galactica. What is wrong with you people? I mean, it was a great show. It was on recently enough. You should have watched it. And if you have not, I, I encourage you. Really? You didn't watch Battlestar? We've watched Battlestar. Okay. You don't remember him saying that all the time, a couple of times, right? Oh, Andrew okay. Donna said that to Starbuck. What do you hear, Starbuck? And he should always say, nothing but the rain, sir. Oh. Let's watch it again. Season with it. Like all of them. I don't know. Watch it again and again and again and memorize it. <laughs> the other thing, Commander Domino says, do your job. He just says, do your job. He mumbles and then says, do your job. And there's, you know, Colonel Ty. I'm not a Cylon. Soft tie from the Colonial Fleet. And then he drinks some more. And the same voices in Mass Effect 3 and Mass Effect 2, and you watch it. That's Colonel Ty, isn't it? Like that. Anyway, hyperplane, hyperspace. I like, I like imagining stuff. If you could think of time as a variable, and you can think of as time goes, the plane moves, go ahead. I can't. <laughs> but if you can think that way, that's great. If you get more than three, if you get like four, now you got time, and my old stats prof Ian said he was able to imagine time, and then he was able to imagine it changing color from red up to violet. Uh, Ian has a very special mind for things like this. Uh, I don't. <coughs> I've often said draw yourself a picture. It helps stop drawing pictures. Okay? This is one of the reasons, by the way, that I like things that have two predictors, because I can imagine a plane. 
I can't imagine a hyperplane. I can think of it as moving around in space, uh, sort of like moving around in time, rather, but I, I, um, uh, that doesn't help me. I mean, I know technically what it would do, but I can't imagine it. So this is one of the reasons I like things with two predictor variables, not three or four. Harder to understand. Right. And if you have trouble understanding the surface, you understand the same thing, right? Because a line, we all understand lines. We've been graphing lines since we were in grade three, grade four. Didn't graph a lot of surfaces. Might have done that again in grade 12, so one time. So I said, it's best to try not to visualize hyperplane because your brain might explode. If you can, that's wonderful. If you've got that kind of skill, like if you're a Cylon, it's all about star galactic references from now on. Rest of the day. Even in 4007, it's going to be like that now. I've decided. Ha-ha! <laughs> now it's the various returns with a vengeance. Just when you thought that Yoda had made peace with the humans, they attack our home world. See, they're the Cylons. Hey, it's all about variance. We can find out if our regression model is significant. In other words, are we explaining a significant portion of the variance with analysis of variance? It's about how much variance am I explained, isn't it? Right? That's all it's about. Well, let's use that. We have two sources of variation now. We have variance due to regression. That's the model. So that's, you know, uh, B1 x1 plus b2 x2 plus b3 x3 whatever and we have variance due to whatever's left over variance due to residual okay. we have residual variance that's what's left over sounds like a simple one way over really in fact it looks a lot like one so the analysis of variance to itself looks like this so we have analysis of variance here we have Due to regression, source of variation, and residual, and of course total. Uh, the degrees of freedom for regression are p minus one, and for residual are n minus p, which coincidentally adds up to n minus one. The number of records you could call that, right? Because it's the number of data points per observation. So you got you might have twenty-seven variables, but you got one record for each, say, person you measure. P minus 1 plus n minus p equals n minus 1. P minus p and minus 1. Yep. Why is it mean square for residual divided by q minus 1? Because I'm wrong. Divided by n minus p. Yeah. Means sum of squares regression divided by, actually, I should, I should expand that table because that's written in there, but it's too small. Sum of squares regression divided by q minus 1. Sum of squares residual divided by n minus p. Thank you, Mike. Not by p minus one, by n minus p, and then we find out if we have a significant <coughs> model. If we've explained a significant, significantly different from zero portion of the variance, we take mean squared regression and divide by mean squared residual. Okay, so we just want to see if we can explain a significant part of the variance. Uh, if, you, of course, we have. This is an early day first step. Remember, this analysis about the whole model. So if you've got 26 variables, or three, right? this is the whole model. If you haven't, and you have three or four or five or nine variables explained a significantly different from zero amount of variance, you may as well quit. Please. Is P still the total number of terms? Yes. Okay. And P minus 1 is the number of predictors. Yes. This is not about individual variables. So if we were predicting uh, income and we had IQ and years of education, right? This is saying that something plus something times IQ plus something times years of education equals income. So that's what this is testing. It's those two together. It's not saying is IQ a significant, sorry, is, is uh, yeah, IQ significant or is significantly different from zero or is, excuse me, years of education significantly different from zero. 
It's saying those two together, when you add them up, are they explaining a significantly different from zero portion of the variance. And it's interesting. If we threw in our thing about number of toes, so it was IQ and, 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 and years of education and number of toes, it would still explain a significant portion of variance. It doesn't say anything about the year of toes is used. No, year of toes? It's a Chinese year, right? Year of the toe. The, the, the number of toes. So the number of toes is not significantly different from zero. There's, there's no way it is. But if we were just testing this whole regression model, that would show up as a significant model. You can see it's not talking about individual variables. It's talking about the whole model. So in fact, this isn't a horribly useful thing. It's a first step that you must do when you're doing regression, but it's a first step. We want to find out about individuals. X variables. Right? Yeah, please. I'm wondering, I don't think a post-hoc test would really work here because no. you don't have like, two sets of treatments, but would you be able to do like just an ordinary run-of-the-mill t-test? In essence, that is what you end up doing. For individual, um, you know the little b's that go yeah, in front? The they're the coefficients, right? So b1 times x1, b2 times x2. If those are different from zero is what you're testing. Because if they equal zero, that means that when it, for our total thing, it would be zero. You know, it would be something times your IQ plus something times your years of education plus zero times the number of toes you have. Because the number of toes you have does not affect your income. That means that it's explaining no variance. So we're testing to see if that B is significantly different from zero. That is, in essence, it is a t-test that ends up being done. It is a t-test. So the model is the thing that's the sum of its parts. It's B1, X1, plus B2, X2, plus B3, X3, plus dot, 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 plus B sub P minus 1, X sub P minus 1. All added up together. That's what you get for regression. It doesn't say if the individual constituents are significantly, either statistically significant or, you know, scientifically interesting. Now, obviously, you want to do something a little more fine-grained than this. Of course, your model is significant. I mean, a blade will better be. Uh, it kind of has to be. If you take a whole bunch of variables and measure them, you're going to find some significant different amount from zero, from zero uh, a variance explained. Which is, it's going to happen. Right? If I measure everybody's height and everybody's weight and everybody's age and everybody's, uh, I don't know, Number of coats you own, uh, and how many keys you have in your pocket, and then I let's say what's our Y going to be? What what year of university you're in? You, you'll find a correlation of some sort there. It'll probably be pretty damn weak, but you'll find something. And if I took enough of those X's, if I measured like 200 X's, I get a significant. Of course, the hell, of course I would. Keep adding a little tiny 0 0.01 plus 0 0.01 plus 0.01 plus 0.001 plus eventually add up. Oh, no, 0.4. It only took 300 variables to get there. Not very interesting. Let's find out what of those 300. Of 100 plus 300. Hey, you seen that movie? There you go. See? A little more recent. Actually, it is. Battlestar Galactic, the first was 2003. It was the original series from 1978, which is different. It's on Netflix. kind of fun. We're much more concerned with how much extra variation is accounted for by adding a new variable into the model. Remember, we had the x1 and the y. How much extra are we explaining? That's what we're interested in. Are we explaining enough extra that it makes us happy? We don't really care about the whole model yet. We're trying to find out something. Our, our end game for this whole thing is to come up with something pretty damn simple where we can say y equals this plus this times this plus this times this plus this times this. Maybe three or four variables, that'd be what. You probably wouldn't want to go a whole lot further than that. You can, you probably don't want. If we get a value called big R squared, remember little r squared before was the number of 
uh, what was the metavariance with a simple <coughs> in bar squared is sum of squares regression divided by sum of squares total. And that's not a mistake, it shouldn't be mean squared. It's sum of squares regression divided by sum of squares total. That's going to give you what's called big R squared. That is the total amount of variance explained by the model. Okay? That's the total amount of variance explained by the model. Total amount of variance in Y, the predicted, explained by the model. That's why it's doing this. Okay. Okay, I'm going to stop for a second. I want you to ask some questions. Okay, I'm going to go over a couple things. Do you understand what we're doing? We're predicting y from a bunch of x's times numbers added up together. So we're saying, you know, y equals 4 times x plus 3 times x1 plus 2 times x2. That's it. Those, the 3 and the 4 and the 6 or what the hell you put in front of all those x's. Those are what those b's are. The b1, the b2, the b3. We're not going to care about the intercept. I said the other day, it's just an artifact of the math. And in essence, it is. And it's usually meaningless. It's a constant to start out with. Yeah, Joe? Can you just do one up to where we're at? Yeah, so well, I can't really do one. I'll give you an example of sorts. So if we were predicting, and this is something a friend of mine has done, I was telling you about this. He was predicting the number of cigarettes people smoked per day. Okay? So cigarettes per day, that, and he wanted to do that, and you might say, well, I don't want to do that. Again, there is a way to do it, but you have to collect a saliva sample and send it off to a lab. The easiest thing to do is actually do something behavioral. Because you can ask people these questions. And you know, why don't you ask people how many cigarettes they smoke a day? Because people underestimate it horribly. They're just not very good at it. Right? When people first, start, first quit smoking, one of the things to tell them is, count how many cigarettes you smoke each day, and then just each day, Make sure you smoke less, and people go, I didn't know I smoked that much, almost invariably. So they don't know how to they can't predict it. But people are able to say things like, so we want to predict cigarettes per day, that's our Y, so CPD. And that equals <coughs> some number, we'll call it B1, times your time to first cigarette. People are very good at doing that actually. How many hours, how many minutes after you wake up, you have your first cigarette? People are very good at that. Because they know, I wake up every morning, and you know, finally when I'm on my way to work, I have a cigarette. How long is that? That's two hours, 120 minutes. They can report that very, very easily. Plus, uh, B2 times the number of years they've been smoking. People can do that well too. They just say, when did you start? I was 14. Okay, how old are you now? I'm 53. Okay, you've been smoking for 39 years. That's easy. People can do that. What's B2? What's what? B2, it's just some number. We don't, I don't know exactly what it is right now, so I can't tell you. Okay. But it would be a number that would be come up with by doing this. Right? And the model actually isn't quite this simple. It's actually got four variables. I can't remember what the other two are. But this is, in essence, what you do. Now I'm able to predict how many cigarettes people smoke a day by asking them two questions. And like I said, there's actually four, or two more that people use. Uh, I think it's have you quit before, zero or one, yes or no. And could you quit today? And it's a zero or one, yes or no. I think those are the other ones. But let's, let's leave those out. It's pretty, I think it's pretty simple. So it's E1 times time for a cigarette. And you'd expect that's going to be a pretty small number. Probably some decimal place, right? Because time for a cigarette in minutes, some people might. I know people that, you know, get up in the middle of the night and smoke. That's pretty intense. So this is theoretical. And this is what? Like a theoretical thing of how. Well, in the real world, it, 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 out there somewhere, it actually is really like that. There's a linear combination. But well, we, don't know we don't know it, so we're going to try to predict it. Cigarettes per day, then, is our one half equals B1 times X1 plus B2 times X2. There's also going to be stuff we don't know. When you report the model, you wouldn't do plus E, but there is stuff we don't know. 
There's also going to be some, some, some common level to everybody. Everybody who smokes, smokes a certain amount of cigarettes per day. Doesn't matter. And let's just make up, it's, we'll call that uh, plus B0. That's the intercept. Okay? And that may be out of 0 or 3 or whatever the hell it is. Or 9 or, or negative 4. I, I honestly don't know. But you can see what would happen here is if we actually did this, we would get these Bs times these x's. We measure the x's. We ask the people the question. And then the, 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 the math, the forgetting regression, figures out what these are. <coughs> We're not there yet? Or is that... We're not going to show you how next time. Oh. It's, it's way... You can... No one is... I don't... People don't do this by hand anymore. It's very complicated. And it involves... The easiest way to do it is using matrix, matrix algebra. And um, you don't need that problem. Uh, so conceptually, I want you to understand that it goes into the black box, and the black box is, is, is matrix algebra, and it comes out, or it's SysStat, or it's SPSS, or it's Excel, Google spreadsheets, and it comes out and tells you what those beats are. Okay? Does that help a little bit? Okay? So that's what we're trying to do. And you can see actually it's very useful. And there's going to be times when we really want to do this. We really want people, we want to be able to make predictions. That's what this is about. This is about making a prediction. You can see this being very useful. It can also be theoretically interesting, right? Instead of something like cigarettes per day, you might predict something about um, a growth rate of some sort, uh, of, of a bunch of neural cells or some such thing. Or you might be predicting a uh, personality variable. You know, your score on a personality scale equals this plus this plus this plus. You know, let's, what if it was the case that your score on, uh, uh, I don't know, let's, some aggression scale was actually a combination of um, something times your age plus something times your sex, zero or one, plus something times your parents' income. That would be really theoretically interesting. Right? So you understand sort of what it does. It's the same sort of thing that happens when you go into the doctor and they look at your height and they measure your weight. They have a regression model. They mostly don't know that's what it is, but they have a regression model because they have a chart. They don't need to know what it is. They have a chart that says, oh, for that weight, Oh, well, you're a little too tall for your height, for your weight. Mm -hmm. it means you're thin. You're very short for your weight. You're <laughs> chunky. Right? They can predict your height for your weight. You can do it very easily. You can see how that would work. So that's what's happening. But if we're to do this, my friend Todd did this work. He had 23 variables, cigarettes per day. Uh, he had the two physiological me measures, uh, salivary cocaine and salivary nicotine levels. And he had then 18 behavioral measures. 18 of them. And yeah, he could do a fine job with 18 variables. What's the use at that point? Let's give somebody a questionnaire where they have to fill out 18 things about themselves. No, I'd like, because, and this was actually for application. It'd be something where if you're going for treatment to quit smoking, somebody would say, how many cigarettes do you smoke a day? Okay, you say that right. How much time for a cigarette? Uh, could you quit today? How many years have you been smoking? So you actually probably smoke this many. Right? And that's where we're going to start. That's very useful. I still have that data set. Because we use it in graduate school as a, like, to do exercises. So we want to know when to add a variable. That's what you're saying. Because if you've got, if you start out with just cigarettes per day equals something times time before a cigarette, you don't explain very much. You explain so little that it's not useful. I want to explain enough variance that I don't have to get people to spit into a jar. Because of course that isn't, even the cocaine, which is pretty stable after 24 hours, even the cocaine level isn't perfectly correlated with the number of cigarettes you smoke per day. It's 
pretty good. We want hot-boiled something that's as good as using measure of, of coconut in your, in your saliva. Okay? So if you have a, five, a model of five x variables, so you got x1, x2, x3, x4, x5, and you add a sixth variable, does your R squared go up? R squared, remember, is sum of squares regression divided by sum of squares total. Right? Remember that. Okay, R squared equals sum of squares regression divided by sum of squares total. Now, I might get this stuff, so I want somebody else to answer that question. If we add a sixth x variable, Will sum of squares regression over sum of squares total go up from what it was when we had five? Hmm? No, it actually that's impossible. Because look, when you took a chance, and I appreciate it, sum of squares total was the total amount of variance that's in what? This is how much is explained by all this. This has to go if we add another variable. Because some of the regression has to go up. Because there's a little bit more variance explained by adding in one more variable. Just a little more variance explained. It could stay constant if there was absolutely no correlation between your 6x variable and your y. The chance that there's absolutely no correlation is so vanishingly small. It's theoretically possible. It's theoretically possible. But it's unknown. So does the R squared go up? It has to. It has to. Okay. The question is, by how much? And that's the question you're asking. You're adding a new variable into a model. Is it going up enough that I want to call this Something I want to keep in mind. Is that a bit of a judgment call? Oh, it's almost completely a judgment call, yes. Um, you'd like it to explain a significant portion of the variance, but you know what? When you've done this, almost every, you wouldn't have gathered data that didn't somehow correlate with Y. What are you, an idiot? I mean, you wouldn't measure no number of toes. It's just not something you do. You know, all the things in, the, in my friend Todd's data set were all about cigarette smoking. They all, at some level, probably correlated with cigarettes per day. In fact, I know the data. They do. They all do. So it's a question of, is the explain, is it enough that I want to keep it in the model? They almost always will explain another significant amount of, of variance. The question is, is it, is it enough to satisfy? So wait, is there, I know it's very context. Is yes. generally a rule of thumb? Yeah, we'll go through a few different rules of We'll go through a few different rules of thumb, and it's not so much based on percentage um, as it is other things that I haven't got to yet. <laughs> so. But that also plays a role. If you throw another 40%, well, hell yeah, of course I'm going to keep it. I don't even care. It makes no sense whatsoever. If one of the variables was, do you have a yellow t-shirt, and it explained 40% of the variance, I'd go, yep, dude, just do what kind of t-shirt they have. It would, too, because yellow t used to be a white t-shirt, but it's nicotine stained. <laughs> Is it enough to deal with the loss of degrees of freedom? You've lost degrees of freedom in your uh, sum of squares residual. I mean square residual, sorry. So you've lost degrees of freedom there. Um, and you also made everything more complicated. It's especially, for me, it's especially true going from two to three explanatory variants. Because we're going from something I can visualize, and I can actually get a graphing program to graph 3D graphs. That's trade. I can't get a graphing program to make things move in time. Now, I probably could, but you need an animation thing. It's not going to look good on paper. You need a whole bunch of things, and you have to flip it, something like that. So for me, if I'm going from two variables to three, that's a big jump. That's a big jump. So it better be damned important to be throwing that in. Three or four isn't as big a deal because I can't 
I stopped being able to visualize stuff at, at, at two dimensions. Right. Yep. Wouldn't the variable, like the variance, be coming out of the residual though when yeah. you put it in? So it isn't just like the trade. Yeah, but you, it's always the same trade-off that we had with the repeated measures design. Let's say. But that's always, almost always. Almost always. Think about this. With these kind of things, if you've got 20, 30 variables you're choosing from, there are going to be ones that explain very little. Very, very little. Right? The model that explains most variance is not the best, best model, necessarily. I was thinking, would the significance of the model decrease then? As you... It, it, it could, yeah. The significance of the model could, yes, be p value of the model. So is, that, is that a good rule of thumb? To maximize the significance of the model? It sort of is. It's one of the things you might look at, yeah. So why don't we look at something other than R squared? Because R squared is always going to go up. We could, I'm never going to ask you this, okay, to calculate it. But this is called adjusted R squared. And it can go up and down. Sum of squares error, in other words, or sum of squares residual. Uh, sum of squares total. Some scores error, some scores residual, and some scores total. This actually can go up and down. So that's nice. If it goes down, it's hurtless. It's called the just R squared. I don't understand why that looks like a backwards R squared. Like it should be regression. Well, I know it shouldn't be, but well, it is. We're weighting it. See, we're doing that. We're weighting it by um, both the number of degrees of freedom that we have lost, right? Yeah. Oh, sorry, total degrees of freedom and the number of degrees of freedom we're losing. Right? So it's sum of squares error, or sorry, yeah, sum of, yeah, and sum of squares total. So that's what's left over. So the adjusted R squared is a measure of what isn't explained? No, it's still a measure of what's explained. I don't understand. Um, This weighting is what actually flips it over. So really, we're taking sum of squares error divided by sum of squares total, yes. divided by uh, the degrees of freedom of yes. the error. That's over. right. Mm -hmm. so that is, that's right. Yep. So what we get here is something that the important point is when you see adjusted R squared in output, you say, oh, that can, that can fluctuate, that can go up and down. That's the beauty of just R squared. Oh, I can. <laughs> yeah, look, if you if you if you like math a lot, you look at that long enough, like Mike just oh, I'll see. Um, so this is adjusted R squared. It's our friend. This is weighted by the number of variables in the model, and it can go up and down. What the more variables are added. That's the beauty of this. It's not the be-all and end-all. It's not our only decision maker. Right? It's not the only piece of data we're going to use to make a decision. Do we keep this in the model? You see how much more this is almost kind of like art as well as science, because it's like it's subjective almost. Right? Because you're looking at it going, yeah, no. It doesn't feel right. Now, it's feel right based on something like, say, just R squared. Feel, feel right based on something like, does it make sense to make the model more complicated? What does R squared measure? The number, R squared is a total variance explained. Okay? And it always must go up whenever you add more variables. It can't not go up. The problem is that's useless to us because every time we add something, what this does is it controls for that. And it can go down. It can actually go down. Go down when you add variables? Yeah, it can. It can go up and down. That's the beauty of it. Okay, and this is our last slide for today. First, we have this model. Um, here's a regression and residual, one degree of freedom because we have one variable. And n minus p. This is n minus p equals two. Okay, our sum of squares regression is fifty. Here's a second one. This is a, with, with x two in the model, not x one now. Thirty and hundred. Well, that's easy. Those two, it's pretty obvious that's better, right? If we just had a one variable model, if the powers that be, the people from above, the big money boys downtown, said, I want a one variable model, well, I'd go with that one on the left. 
It explains more variance, right? 50 out of 130, 130 is total. This one's 50. So I would like that. Of course, what's stopping you from putting them both in? Just for your own, even though the big money boys, the power brokers, the one percenters, occupy regression. They're trying to stop you from doing a two-variable model. You're going to do it anyway, because you are a wrestler. Right? You like Indian music, and you have a fixed-gear bicycle. Very few people are getting the hipster references, but some of you are. That's good. You want to live in Portland, Oregon. You eat nothing but completely organic, free-range Tic Tacs. Two variables. Is more because remember 130. I'm just adding these two together. Get the sum of total versus 30. Well, that's nice. Which one's the best model? I can tell you clearly that the middle one is not. Right, the middle one explains the least variance. Screw it, it's bad. The first one, I, I, could, I could agree with that. I would make an argument for that for sure. It's a simple model. That's a line. We've all seen lines before. It's explaining a lot of variance. Five thirteenths, which is what? I don't know. 38 some odd percent of variance. That's pretty good. That's nice. We know this one sucks. So the hell with it. This one here. This is the stuff. Wait a second. This one's pretty good too. A plane? I can deal with a plane. Now, I can. I would accept an argument for either of those being the best model. But there's one very cool thing here. I ask you a question. Did the x's? Mike earlier on said, "What if the x's and y's overlapped?" So if I was to draw, and I'll just, I'll just put this up. <laughs> And I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna kill, I'm gonna kill that Okay. We got y. That's the variance in y. We've got x1. Uh, how much is x1 again? It's 50 and that's 30. So 50. Uh, this is not that much. There's x1. There, that's actually some of squares regression, right? For, that, for, for this model. Now, does x2 overlap with x1? In other words, it could go here. And then some of the variance in x1 is also the variance in x2. That's possible. Or does it go here? What do you think, Mike? I think it goes on the front side because when you add the sum of squares into the regression, it's it's not less than the total. You know what I mean? Yep. Is that like the number one way of that? In that case, and this is why, in fact, while NG almost completely always, I would agree with you on this, except in this case, this is a beautiful thing because these two don't overlap. X one and X two don't overlap. X two is explaining unique variants. How do I know that? Because we take a look at this. What's the total amount of variance? Think of variance as a thing. It's just sum of scores total. It's always 130, right? This one's 50 on its own. This one's 30 on its own. 50 and 30 is 80. If this one came out being 60, then they are explaining, they are both explaining unique variants. They're explaining some variants that overlaps. Yeah, but let's say And could you say that there yeah. is some, I don't know how to, how to word this, but a multicollinearity of That's the word. 20? No, well, not quite. Um, Wait, six, 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 like I don't know how I'd word it. It's you know something, yeah, it's something like that, yeah. You would say there's overlap, yeah. So the bigger the number, the better? To a point. The bigger the number, the better. For some of regression, yes. But, and this is why this is going to be the final slide, because we can't get into the next stuff that would be too complicated to do in five minutes. But it's, it could be the case 
that it was 50 and 30, and we put them both together, it was 50. Right? If they were both 50, I just saw a light bulb go off over his head. If they were both, if it ended up being for x1, x2, it was 50, that would mean, in fact, that all of this, and all this here, the x, the x, y, and x2, would actually all be in here. Then all we're doing is we're explaining exactly the same variance, now with two variables. You know, I can predict your weight from your height in centimeters and your height in inches. Not very useful. I could probably just use your height in inches. Right? So if it's big, which this one is, and this plus this is close to this, now you might say, how close? And my answer is close enough. Okay? If you had something like this, this would be like, I can't believe these, uh, these data are made up. Because this never happens. Yeah, yeah, Jane? What if the final one was 90? So can't be. It can't be. It's impossible. How could it be that these two things could be bigger than these two things? <laughs> it can't be. Okay. It could be smaller because they overlap. So you made a mistake. You must have made a mistake. Exactly. Yep. Or you've made some very strange discovery about the nature of the universe that you know you probably keep under your hat. <laughs> probably caused rebellions everywhere. You know, and that's when the Cylons rebel and attack. Category. Yes, Lisa. Okay, so for the third one, that's 80. Yeah. If it's 70, that means they're overlapping? Yes. Okay. Right? Because that means that because here's 50. And here's 30. 15, 30 is 80. If this was over here, so let's pretend it doesn't look like that now. And this here, Crosshatch that way is 30. Now we can see that that's 30 and that's 50, but the whole shaded area is not 80. Right? It's got to be less than 80.
podcast is released under a Creative Commons copyright share like 2.5 Canada. Uh, feel free to redistribute the information as you see fit, but please don't make any money out of it. And if you do, you got to tell me because I'm reserving that right. Giving up all the other ones, including uh, mash it up any way you want, okay? Um, also, of course, give me attribution. If you want to get a hold of me, my email address is dave.broadbeck, B-R-O-D-B-E-C-K, at algomau.ca. My website is people.auc.ca slash broadbeck slash blog. Uh, most of the music, uh, all the music's Podsafe, and most of it comes from GarageBand.com or the Podsafe Music Network. See you next time.